This recording was made on Goringai Country, Northern Beaches, New South Wales. It's the only way that you can describe what a person is, describe what they do. There doesn't seem to be much job satisfaction or pleasure in this picture. Hello, g'day, kia ora, bonjour, and just a general ahoy hoy to everybody listening, and thank you very much for hitting play on this very special episode of Trash Talking to Yourself podcast, where in fact, we're not just talking to ourselves anymore. Amazing! This is monumentous, guys, because once upon a time, we actually used to have real conversations often, and actually mostly with real-life other human beings about climate change and the environment and mental health and whatnot. Um, A long time before pandemics, lockdowns, and just broad-spectrum delirium, which led to to you and me, and mainly just me, mumbling at myself into oblivion. Um, So this is really special because this is the first time in a long time that we've sat down for a chat with a real-life human being. Incredible. And so this isn't just any old real-life human being. This is Tim Dawson, someone I'm very proud to call a close and personal friend, but also someone I'm very proud just to know based off what he's doing. So you might think of yourself as ahead of the curve in various realms of your life, and fantastic, great, I'm sure you are. Let me tell you how far ahead of the curve Tim Dawson is. Is it ahead of the curb? No, it's the curve, isn't it? Tim Dawson is so far ahead of the curve that... Of course, solar panels are not new to anyone at this point in time, and an absolutely critical component in our transition towards a renewable future and emissions-free energy production. Australia has one of the highest uptakes of rooftop solar in the world, and it's a wonderful thing. But Tim is so far ahead of the curve that he's actually thinking, okay, so this is all well and good, but solar panels don't last forever. What's going to happen when all these solar panels need replacing? So Tim's in business to solve that very problem. His business is called PV Industries, where he and his crew are are really knocking on the door of this impending problem, which will be a very big problem because this vast uptake that we've had, which is such a good thing, I can't stress that enough. We're not criticizing solar at all. But we are, or Tim is identifying that it's not all just roses and, and that's the end of the story and we just don't need to think about energy or waste anymore. Because with this rapid growth of this industry, there's the introduction of faulty components and not necessarily scrupulous manufacturers and installers who actually have product stewardship and give a rats about the end of life cycle of the products that they're either manufacturing or installing. Solar panels cost quite a lot of energy and resources to produce. And hopefully you get a good one that gives you 30, 40, however many good years of free energy production from the sun, but like anything that just sits under the sun, it will deteriorate and it won't last forever. So Tim and PV Industries are getting on top of this problem before it evolves out of our control to figure out exactly what we're going to do with a waste stream which is rapidly growing at a concerning rate and only poised to increase. So Tim has my utmost respect and admiration for being so far ahead of this and thinking and thinking so comprehensively about the solar industry. So that's pretty much all you need to know. I'll let Tim speak for himself. But um, but yeah, we sat down for a beer and a chat 
uh, at the beach after having a surf and, well, for me, just a body surf, which was nothing short of spectacular being the first body surf I'd had in a couple of months. And the whole experience was just magical. So I really hope you enjoy it and just plonk yourself imaginatively, fantasagorically speaking. That's not a word. Plonk yourself at the beach with us and tune in to a guy who thinks about trash full time. Not just thinks in trash like like me and maybe you, but, but thinks about trash, real trash, and is getting in front of it on behalf of all of us. So, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody else, Tim Dawson. Well, Urban Surf, I found out when I was there, is the wave garden technology. Right. Yeah. Scaled differently? That. Like, yeah, to be, because they look bigger. It's much bigger. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, it's right. the same technology. So Urban Surf must have just, that's just the commercial side of it, I guess. Do they show you at all like how the technology works? Do you feel like you've got a grasp of how they're making waves? No, I've got no idea. Because the Slater <laughs> one, you can see that there's some wild cable car that they're dragging. Yeah, through the And it the looks water. almost like a wake. Mm. Yeah, but it's underwater. Mm. Who knows? Mm. But the wave garden ones, or the urban surf one, looks like it just spits out of the corner. Mm, yeah, it does. Good though, it's, like good. It's good fun. It's good fun. It's different. I so it works as well by like you have to sign up for a particular session. Yeah. And there's actually a fair amount of sessions, and they're just broken down into four categories. So you've got beginner intermediate advanced and an expert yep okay and then within those ones they've got different settings so they've got like advanced turns or just advanced or you know expert turns and stuff so they've got these different settings and then when you do it they at least so i booked in for advanced turns and i booked in for a 9 p.m session around 9 p.m yeah 9 p.m you're jumping into a freezing cold pool in yeah. the airport with yeah. a surfboard yeah that's mental so, 9 p.m and the advance so i and i was running late from work as well um it was a bit of a cluster and i'm hooning along the freeway to get there get there just in time sign my death waiver and whatever on, on my mobile <laughs> and so i didn't i went in there like really quickly and just caught up. Everyone else was already there and their wedding's ready to go, so I had to quickly get changed and they have like a briefing, um, like a safety briefing. Then when you go, when you go out in the wave pool, there's two sides and then they've got the middle where it's like a jetty almost, like a walkway. You can spectate from there kind of thing? You can't spectate, but they, the people that work there use it. Right. And then on the sides, you people can spectate. And on the each side of that like rock jetty, concrete jetty thing, there's essentially a rip that takes you out the back of the pool. And it's raging rip, like you don't need a paddle, you just go hop in and you'll just float all the way out the back really. And then you have to pick which side you want to do as well. So I picked the right hand side but you can also do the left. And most people did the right. And there were maybe six people doing the left. Are you in your backhand? Go like the right pull. Is it a left or a right? Yeah, so the right pull is a right-hander. Oh, okay, gotcha. So I was on my forehand. Um, And there was a lot more people on that side. And I spoke to the lifeguard and he's like, what side are you on? I'm like, I'm on the right. He's like, are you natural? I'm like, yeah. He's like, good, you're on the, that's, it'll be more fun. I'm like, okay, no worries. Then we get out there 
and the waves kind of just start coming and I was pretty nervous because I didn't really understand how it works and they tell you where to sit there's like markings on the wall and you sit there and you wait for these waves to come and the first 20 minutes is a certain setting and then they change it every 20 minutes and so it's an hour long so there's three different settings within advanced turns and the first 20 minutes were hard to get going it was pretty weak and I struggled to you know jam your man turns in there yeah exactly like you had to really stay in the pocket you couldn't get too far or you'll just that would be it yeah yeah it wasn't that big it was pretty gutless but then next setting was better and then the last set like the next two settings were fine and I was saying like if you're booking in for advanced turns you can sack off the first 20 minute setting because everyone there should be doing like they've booked into advanced turns and they've got this like first 20 minutes which are like kind of an intermediate yeah, sort of setting yeah and it's kind of like a bit basic it's uh, like we're all here to do advanced turns why fluff around with it's this it's pretty interesting to think about it being really objectively stratified into ability levels like ski mm. runs and ski fields and stuff you've always got your green blue black double black but it's a lot more obvious whether you can or can't get down the hill mm. whereas in the surf you can buy the latest wetsuit and a flashboard and sit out there masquerading as someone who knows what they're doing <laughs> just like i'm assuming you could book advanced turns even if you don't know how to do a cutback yeah totally and then kind of is that are those people ruining it do they just fill up space, waste waves? Is that something you noticed, or was everyone pretty much in the same ability level? That was a good question. That's yeah, that's a really good question because well, there's so most... much ego in surfing. Yeah, like can't you just imagine some hero who just wants to yeah <coughs> knock himself up a few weight classes? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've been surfing for two years, man. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I'm ready. I don't know. Everyone there was. I was in a good session. Everyone was fine and but there were definitely people of different abilities 100 percent. but mm. i was worried about like if you kind of if you fall off early on the wave you don't really have anywhere to go and the waves come really quickly it's like you get maybe 12 waves in a set um and they must vary the number of waves depending on how many people are booked in for the session but it's generally we had like 15 in our session mm. on the right mm. and there was maybe 12 waves a set so you keep moving out of position as well because you're in a queue right so your position in the queue changes Um, and if you come off yeah if you come off you've just got nowhere to go Mm. as in like you get run over or Mm. oh right yeah because you've got like just these waves coming after one after the other and they come every 10 seconds so any near misses or any impact? Um, there weren't when I was there, but I can imagine there would be. Mm. <laughs> I imagine it could get pretty... Yeah, you could get into a pretty sticky situation. And reasonably well lit. 9pm's pretty late to go surfing. It was pouring rain. Too. Oh, no, <laughs> actually. pouring, yeah. I guess it doesn't matter at that point. No. But. <laughs> it was pouring rain. And it's funny you mentioned the um, ski runs as well because that's how they used the your position on so they have like these markers on the wall and they use ski run symbols and they tell you so they've got the beginner and it was like a 
a green circle, a blue square for intermediate. Mm-hmm. Um, Black diamond. Yeah. And then they that's how they wow. told you where to sit and they had them on the wall and they're like, you're all the first blue marker or whatever. So... I wonder if this, this is the divergence of surfing and some other new sport. Yeah. Because it is, if it's repeatable and predictable in a way that the ocean is just very much not. Mm, I mean, is in confined circumstances when you're at a break under particular conditions that you've familiarised yourself with extensively. But even then, you get this natural variability that doesn't seem to be at play in the pool. Yeah. So I wonder if that's going to really turn, like, produce two very distinctly different types of surfers. Yeah, that's a good point. <coughs> I don't know if... I, I've been kind of under the impression that wave pools are going to come in and it's going to be massive. Mm. And all these people are going to take up surfing and it's just going to blow surfing out and there's going to be people in the western suburbs and around all these waveless places that learn to surf and then they'll come to the beaches and surf and, you know, they'll just learn in the pool but then they'll still be in the ocean. But... Having done it, I don't think that wave pools are are going to replace the ocean. Yeah, that's I don't a think relief. it's possible. That's good to hear. Having done it, yeah, no. Having done it, I'm like, this is good, and I'll do it again. But there's nothing that compares to just being out in the ocean. Yeah, that's my that's what my assumption has been. Without having done it, I mm. imagine I'll end up doing it at some point. Right now, there's just well, there's not one in Sydney yet. No. And they're also just so hideously expensive against just going down to the beach. But that's been my um, supposition is whether like, it looks like fun for someone who knows how to surf in the ocean and then can go and practice things or just have a novel time in the pool. But if you've only done the pool, there is so much stuff about the ocean that you're not being at all prepared for or yeah. you cannot actually fathom until you get in, into an ocean lineup. Yeah, 100%. There's so much to read, like even looking now at Curl Curl, like yeah. you've got these rips, currents, holes, bar, like sandbars and... So, yeah, would you do it again? Uh, like a wave pool? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd do it again. I would like to try it on the, like there's a few different, as I said, settings. I'd like to try it on a couple of other settings, mm. get a bit more of a feel for it. And I'd probably take a board with a little bit more volume. Right. I felt like I was just a little bit under underdone what did you write i just wrote my normal shortboard which is thruster yeah thruster um really designed for better waves but um the waves the last few settings were okay but i probably just want a bit more of an all-around board Mm. give that a whirl but yeah i'll do it again i think they're building one now in western sydney like yeah homebush yeah right is that an urban surf i think so because i want i just wonder what the future of those crazy plunger pools whether that's feasible or not you know the one the up in Yapoon yeah the mushroom thing crazy, yeah, yeah the mushroom thing where it just like releases all these gases and it looks like a movie studio yeah it looks like a bit Mad Max it's crazy yeah but then it looks like it produces reasonably good waves and also in four different directions yeah I wonder what the like economics of it are because the urban surf one I look at it and I'm like this is really easy to commercialize mm, without knowing like the detail it, as far as just replicating it over and over again well in terms of i, I think i mean in terms of like it's it, it 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 makes sense i can imagine the numbers stacking up because you can just have wave after wave after i don't know how the technology works but 
literally it's just wave after wave after wave after wave mm. and it happens really quickly and 10 seconds seems like a long time but it's really quick mm. and but you compare it to like the surf surf lakes I think it's called in that's Yipun, right yeah yep the mushroom one and I watch it and I'm like there's only like two or three waves in a go because the mushroom just goes up and down and then, and then that stops and then it stops yeah and then it's like well yeah and each of those two or three waves look like different they're not all the same one no. of them is the best then there's the second best wave and then there's the third best wave yeah. of those three yeah exactly like yep. it's it's how do you you know if in terms of the economics and the how do you commercialize it like there's just a not a, not as many waves so i imagine it's going to be more ex expensive for one person to use because mm. they just can't get the same volume of people through it i don't know maybe uh, yeah i'd be curious to know how it, how it all stacks up yeah not just for like um customer equity but also sustainability of how much energy it takes to generate waves mm. the more i guess like the less resources per wave that you need better yeah did yeah. you get any idea of how much the wave pool like the urban surf rather uh how no much energy that uses I wish I, if I'd got there earlier and probably did a daytime session, because it's like a whole precinct. They've got like a cafe, a, a shop where you can buy surf-related gear. Yep. Um, I think they've got like a fancy restaurant. Like it's all geared towards spending like a half day there, right? Yep, yeah. Um, and I imagine they would have a lot of information somewhere in like some kind of visitor-centered style thing to, to learn about how it works and... Um, you know the sustainability side of it as well i imagine so i don't know but i know that like the kelly wave pool the surf ranch whatever it's called i think they use up like heaps of energy so it's going to be difficult for them to commercialize mm. so yeah it's an interesting question because then you look at the ocean like we are now and mate this is this is it happens every day. It's nature. Yeah, for free. For free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Could but... Mean it's hard to beat. Yeah, it is hard to beat, but it's also not rifling like that surf ranch yeah. wave. Like yeah, that, of true. Of all of them... Yeah, it's of impressive, all of them, that it? surf ranch wave... That footage of with the first wave when Kelly's just losing and it's just yeah. that sheet glass, misty, and the power in it. Yeah. It's no surprise that it uses a lot of electricity because you can see it's a powerful wave breaking top to bottom... It's got a pretty thick, wet, like chunky lip on it. Yeah, it's it's generating a lot of white, uh, power. So you assume that it must take a lot of power to generate in the first place. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you're right. So you didn't see any banks of solar panels on the top of Urban Surf. You're just That's licking a great your lips, question. rubbing your yeah. hands on your way in. You're just like, all right, guys, here's my admission, but uh, I'll be clipping this on the way out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't look hard enough. Nine o'clock at night, and I was yeah, running away. I, I can have a look at Google Maps. Maybe I'll do that. <laughs> they would do. You would have thought, or there'd be some. Oh, they'd have to be. Sure. It seems they'd have to be right. Like it seems to me that if you have any, not even just forward-facing operation where you're serving the general public, any operation, any business, sustainability, and the ability to answer sustainability questions, and then be. I don't know, confident in how you're using energy to create your product or service and why. That's just essential. Like, everyone needs to have those answers. Yeah, absolutely. But 
yeah, I guess like they get pretty hard to justify at some point, like that mm. surf, um, the surf lakes thing. If that rusted out plunger is going <laughs> once every five minutes yeah. and it's taking like a whole town's worth of power power for a whole year just to get it to plunge once, yeah, just so Oki can go left and yeah. you know get a good promo wave for it. Yeah, it's pretty mad, isn't it? I I, I think there's a value to know those metrics though. Like recently, I've been thinking there's this um, facility in Queensland that is generating electricity by burning excrement. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's called biosolid gasification. And I, yeah, think, right. I think to myself about these equations, like I'd like to know the answer about how much poo it takes to charge a Tesla. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's a lovely like black and white sort of crass but relatable yeah, equation everyone, that we can get our heads can... around can figure that one out yeah, yeah and like one way that kelly surf ranch is you know x amount of movies that you might go and watch or some yeah like something. yeah exactly something relatable yeah so people yeah no i agree i've heard a bit about gasification recently mm. um funnily enough when i was down at melbourne really yeah i don't know enough about it. it's not really my area of expertise but um from the sounds of it it's gonna gonna be a um a growing uh, a growing industry for you'd sure. think so yeah that's about yeah. as renewable of a resource as we can yeah. hope to, <laughs> to, be, to be using yeah okay so but you are an expert in solar panel recycling oh I try to be <laughs> PV industries can you tell me when you first thought about PV industries yeah that's a good question so I first thought about it when it was um, maybe before it even had that name yeah, I first thought about it. Well, it was kind of presented to me by James, the other co-founder. Mm. And by that point, they had already um, they had already incorporated it um, as a company and PV Industries. And then I um, became involved with it. Really, right? Had it been on your radar at all before then? A little bit. James told me that he was... We'd both chatted, I guess, about starting a business because it was just kind of the right right time in our lives. Mm. And I guess from... Yeah, so James is... And for those who probably don't know, James is uh, a very good friend of mine and we went to uni together. So we've always kept in touch. And yeah, he wanted to start a business and I did as well, but we didn't really know what we wanted to do. And then James had thoughts about starting an e-waste business. And he was chatting to some council um, council workers in Queensland at a conference and they said, forget, forget e-waste, look at solar panels. Because solar panels are going to be a big problem and no one's looking at it. Mm. And so that's how he started looking into it. And then he, um, along with... Uh, another colleague of his at the time um, yeah incorporated PV Industries and started the business and then I kind of got sucked into it um, sucked into it yeah. you don't seem too unhappy or unsuccessful because of that yeah. <laughs> it's like it's all gone pretty well yeah well, it's going in the right direction which is always good so yeah labour of labour of love I'm sure but we're passionate about it so that's that's a start and the core, so the core business, because I feel like I'm being a bit lazy because I know what PV Industries is all about, but someone mm. listening might, might not necessarily. Yeah. The core business is 
stripping solar panels down to their raw components and then recycling them? Is yeah, essentially. So that's that's the core business, basically breaking it down um, into yeah their raw materials. So there's a bunch of different materials. I like to characterise a solar panel as a fancy glass window because mm. really it's majority of it's glass and then it's just got on the other side of the window it's just got a layer of silicon um, silicon uh, which, which is known as the, the cells is that what's interacting with the sunlight to produce electricity yeah okay exactly silicon so silicon so this silicon wafer mm. and it's got interlaced in there is copper and silver and other bits of metals to basically power or produce the or transmit the power out of the solar panel mm. so it's um yeah just really a fancy glass window and then on the other side of the wafer is just a plastic backing to protect it right and then we just so our core business has been or started as um breaking down these solar panels into their raw materials so that we can reuse them in uh, manufacturing um, here locally in New South Wales and Australia. Manufacturing more solar panels primarily or just any other uses for those resources? Um, look, they, they could go into solar panels, but they could, we've always said that they could go into anything. Mm. So they're just the raw materials. So the aluminium could go into, you know, aluminium can be recycled over and over and over um, for hundreds of years. And most of the aluminium that's produced today would be have content of recycled content from a long time ago. Mm. Um, so the problem, the problem, people have always said to us, why don't you, can you put it back into new solar panels? Like, yeah, technically we can, but technically we can, but we don't really manufacture solar panels here yeah, in Australia, which I'd is the problem. I'd never just suggest that that's something you should do as though that was yeah. an easily accessible <laughs> no. thing. That you, you can just get on top of that. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you have me doing that? Yeah. <laughs> <Start another business. laughs> but, um, yeah, un unfortunately, we don't really have a solar panel manufacturing industry here. It's They're all manufactured overseas. Mm. Will that change, though, do you think? Because like, I imagine you guys aren't the only people... Uh, motivated and active in recovering resources in solar panels. Would you ever envision that there would be enough recycled materials to commence production in Australia? Or do you does it need enough, it needs that much virgin material that it's just not really feasible? Uh, yeah, I think it's more the latter. We're just, it needs that much material. Like we'll never recycle. If we continue to install solar at the rate at which we are today, we just won't have enough material because there's not enough. If you look at the volume of solar panels installed over time, it's an exponential curve. Mm. So the volume last year is a lot smaller than the volume the mm. next year, you know what I mean? That's interesting actually. So that curve, would you expect that curve to flatten out at some point? As in, mm. so we're on this huge uptick of rooftop solar and people are getting their own system sorted. So the scale of the problem that you guys are solving is growing as far as the waste as those solar panels become defunct. But would there ever be enough solar panels to yeah to, gen to, to kind of give rise to local manufacturing? Yeah, it's a good question. As, well, I suppose as that would sort of flatten out. Flatten out. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question because like we only have so much 
land. Like it, ha- we can't. It has to stop at some point. Mm. But then, at the point in time in which we're no longer um, cons- like increasing our growth, or we've run out of space theoretically, you imagine that would be at least. 15, 20, 30 years away mm. and by that point you'll have a lot of the farms that have gone in over the last couple of years and today we'd start to be turning them over. They'd need them all over again I see what you're saying as well yeah. as the people who are still doing it for the first time. Exactly. Gotcha. It's yeah, going to be interesting to see how it plays out because solar farms like volumes of solar panels going in in large volume like large numbers that's only really started over the last couple of years really mm. um, and prior and to that the bulk of the of your collection would have been rooftop like households rather well the bulk of the installs in Australia would have been mm, s- got, yep. residential and like small commercial and or medium sized commercial and, like smaller farms but now there's so there's so many large scale solar projects going on mm. like so many and you've got that what's that one up in Northern Territory for oh, for the for Singapore, for Singapore, yeah. How mind blowing is that? That's pretty crazy. Yeah, I haven't even attempted to wrap my head around the reality of that technologically and logistically. Like how that's a, is it? It's an undersea cable. Is that that's words I've read somewhere? Yeah, I think they're transmitting it through an undersea. Well, the idea is to transmit it through an undersea cable. I just accept that. I read that and I'm like, yeah, checks out with me. But I <laughs> have no idea yeah. how you install an undersea cable that is robust enough and big enough to service electricity supply to another from one country to another yeah it's crazy to that's think about. just like mind-boggling it's crazy to think about and we've got cables everywhere running through the ocean i wonder if that's just like just tunneling at the right angle from the right spot in australia if you just tunnel yeah. in a straight line at the right angle you'll just pop out at singapore somewhere yeah. and then rather than having to I don't know, suspend them down to the ocean floor yeah. one bit at a time. Yeah. You can just drill your way there. Just drill. Well, it's like that old old saying, right? Through to you dig a hole and you get to China. Dig to China, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Not that far from China, so if you just move the hole over a bit. And that's, <laughs> I mean, these maxims are factual at, at some point in time. That's how they become these things we just regurgitate over and over, dig to China. Exactly. That yeah. has to be the truth one day. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder. And maybe, yeah benefit this project (laughs) Mm. so is your are you just constantly fielding phone calls from people who are just like hey tim got got panels got got (laughs) i've got 700 panels and i don't know what to do with them yeah it's is that is that right is that exponential um rise in solar Ubiquitous, ubiquitousness, ubiquity. Ubiquity, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that rise in solar ubiquity directly? Are you guys just kind of constantly servicing new demand? Um. Oh yeah. Well, I'll put it this way: when we first started the business, and I mean like a year in, let's give it a year, we were getting an inquiry maybe once a, f- a couple a month, a few a month. Mm. Now, now we'll get them every day. Wow. Yeah. wow really yep that's amazing credit to you guys yeah it's wild congratulations that's just like yeah it's wild as far as you as far as just knocking on the right door and this is only mm. gonna I hate, it's not right to celebrate a problem which is 
No. The proliferation of a waste stream, but uh, you know, it's like credit where credit's due. Yeah, you guys are right in front of this thing. It's awesome. Yeah, exactly. It's cool to be at the the forefront of a new industry. Yeah, it must be for sure. And yeah, it's great. Like the inquiries vary so greatly. Like you've got people who have panels that they're trying to get rid of who are campers and holiday makers or have a boat or whatever to commercial buildings like shopping centres that are replacing their system to hail damaged panels from storms or whatever to large scale farms where they've had um, damage during construction of the of the farm so so have you are you yet to receive a call from or an inquiry rather from a farm whose panels are being replaced because I imagine that volume of one farm's panels would almost um, equal you know all of the houses and campers and yeah, shopping exactly. malls and stuff yeah. combined yeah they're, they're, they're a huge market um, yeah we they haven't started replacing panels apart from ones that have been replaced under warranty that must be an exciting feeling then mm. Knowing yeah. that that's going to happen, it will. It must. It happen. has to. It has to. They don't. They won't last forever. Yeah. So, what's the difference? That, what is the difference between a cheap, shitty solar panel and a high quality panel that will give you fifteen to twenty years? Um. Okay. The difference. This is. This is an interesting question because a lot of people are very. You look at a solar panel, and unless you know what you're looking at or you're you know you know enough about the solar industry and solar panels and how they're made you just you just don't know what you're what you're buying yeah because you look at a solar panel you're like that's just that's a solar panel yeah exactly like that's exactly how i feel yeah i have no idea exactly no visual cues it's really hard to kind of determine exactly yeah exactly the veracity of every panel company's claim of our panels is the best yeah 100% and during so when people put solar panels on their house for instance they'll go out if they're a smart consumer they'll go out and get three quotes or more and they'll look at these quotes and the issue is that they'll look at these three quotes and they'll only see a few numbers that are highlighted and important to them and that'll be how much power their system can generate Mm -hmm. and what their cost savings are per year on their electricity bill Mm -hmm. and it'll have you know the brand of the solar panel there and how many solar panels and the other bits and pieces of the equipment and if you're looking at this quote and it says okay we've got 10 solar panels or whatever and it costs this much and then we've got another quote from someone else and they've got it's the same it's 10 panels and it'll produce the same amount of power but it'll cost double or even triple Mm. and the consumer is like well why is that one more expensive it says that these solar panels will produce the same power so why would I choose a more expensive one yep and that's the that's the issue that a lot of consumers face yeah every day and the problem is if you buy cheaper panels they get issues over time and there's a lot of complexities there too around warranties and stuff because there's two main warranties on solar panels that people uh, that get marketed to people right and the first one is there's a 10 year 
generally a 10-year um, workmanship warranty mm-hmm. and that's to cover things like the frames loose so mm, we're okay. going to replace replace or fix the frame or replace the panel generally they'll just replace the panel because they don't have the capability to fix it right so they've got this 10-year workmanship warranty but then they've got this 25 or 20 25 or 30 year performance guarantee and this is where it gets really gray because consumers are often led to believe that their panels based on that guarantee will last 25 or 30 years yeah but that's not quite how it works the performance guarantee guarantees <coughs> the panels output over time so each as time passes these solar panels will naturally degrade like anything degrades in the sun like plastic or whatever being in the sun it's naturally just going to break down yep <coughs> So they guarantee that the panel's performance won't dip below a certain amount as time goes on. And you can see a graph of it and blah, blah, blah. And they'll guarantee that for 25, 30 years. Now, after your panel reaches the end of its workmanship or product guarantee or warranty, Mm -hmm. which is usually 10 years, but it it varies, then it gets really grey because you might have a problem with your panel and the output's gone down and you've claimed it outside of this warranty and you've said to the manufacturer or the installer, hey, my panel's not working like it should be, um, so I'd like to get it replaced or you, you know, replace under warranty. And then the manufacturer will turn around and say, oh, well, that's because uh, the frames come loose and it's outside of that product warranty. Oh. So we're not going to... We're not going to replace it. Wow, that's some evil shit. Wow, so they they announced that 10-year workmanship warranty. As soon as there's a defect beyond that warranty, then the other warranty is voided by whatever defect. Yeah, it can be is. voided. Yeah, it can be voided. Can be voided. It depends because I'm just speaking in uh, some, I guess, uh, you know, this is not... The broad strokes. Yeah, this is not f- what happens all the time, mm. but it's why it's important to really do a lot of research on the manufacturer of the panels, the installer, um, and know what happens. Like, okay, if something does go wrong, you know, will they replace my panels? You know, are they true to their word? How long have they been in operation? There was a period earlier where there's a lot of companies that manufactured panels that no longer exist. They just came in, yeah, sold right. panels en masse, wow. and then went out of business and disappeared. So now you've got, this is leading into a different conversation about product stewardship and stuff, because if you want to bring in product stewardship, which is essentially like management of a waste stream at a regulated or semi-regulated kind of level, mm-hmm. um, if you want to bring... Uh, bring in product stewardship you've got this problem of orphan panels or orphan waste that and no one no one is putting their hand up saying yeah I built that so yeah. it fell apart yeah exactly but here I am ready to help yeah exactly you've got all these panels where the manufacturer no longer exists and it's like well who's going to pay for those mm. and, you know, and the, the resources in them are still worth something yeah the resources in them are still worth something even though they're crappy panels that haven't performed yeah yeah the resources are still still worth something mm. <coughs> um, 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you've still got aluminium frames, you've still got glass, like it's, um, you know, the quality of the panel, I think, generally <coughs> is based on how it's all put together, in our experience anyway, from, from a recycler's point of view. Because we see panels that have, you know, defects like delamination, where the, um, the layers come apart, and if the layers come apart, you you basically have electricity that leaves leaves the panel, right? It's not functioning. You get little burn holes, you get burn marks and um, water ingress, stuff like that. Mm. And then that kind of degrades its, or you know, it doesn't perform as well as as much as it could over time. Mm. And yeah, there are heaps of panels out there that um, just poorly built. Yeah, and just. Yeah, are degrading and are old and poorly built and such a difficult thing though. If I met like, if I met put myself in the shoes of someone who owned a property and was thinking about rooftop solar, and I had these three options that you're talking about. Maybe one is ten grand, the other's fifteen, the other's twenty, just for nice round numbers and argument's sake. And I'm gonna look at the fifteen and think, what if the twenty is just someone ripping me off? and the 10 is cheap and nasty. It's just like to actually establish the veracity of all of those manufacturer and installer claims about which panel is the best. You still have, you kind of still have to take this leap of faith, it feels like, is that, yeah. is that about accurate? Yeah, I think so. Like at the end of the day, you are taking a leap of faith. So you've got to do lots of research um, to find out who you, who you want to work with because at the end of the day, you're you're paying for a product that you're going to put on your roof and you want it to work for a long time. Um, so you want to do a lot of research on several installers and I always suggest reaching out to a few in your local area um, and then doing research on what it is that they're offering in terms of products. Yeah. Is there easy um, things that you can notice about manufacturing like the products or or those installers when you get in contact are there kind of telltale signs that okay this is a switched on operator who's gonna give me good product and be true to their word yeah that's a good question um the the yeah it's hard for me to comment in a way because i've never had been on that that end of things like I've never had to actually put solar on my roof because I don't own a home or anything mm, like that yeah. or any any building <laughs> but if if there's something that we've picked up from conversations with our customers and other people like that and just being in the industry it's that anything that's high pressure sailed and there yeah anything that's it's like any sales situation if you're being highly pressured into something and there's time constraints and stuff like that. It's probably not. You know, you want to you want to yeah, really do be your alarm home. bell. Yeah, you want to yeah. do your homework. You want to have, you know, a lot of the the really good installers that we work with and speak to and have met. Um, they're all about just educating the customer, and they'll go through it with you, and they'll explain it all to you in like a great level of detail. Whereas on the other end of things, you could be dealing with some operators who are just sales based on the phone and they're mm. trying to do as high volume as they can every day mm. um, so there's just yeah a big spectrum so it's always worth I don't know especially 
from from my personal opinion I always like to deal with local suppliers when I can and try and you know learn something about them and what they do and the well, products you're spending your money yeah on. what I'm spending my money <laughs> on yeah exactly you're like crazy it. man what do you mean you want to know about what you're yeah, spending your money on exactly <laughs> well, I want to be confident in my purchase I know right so um, and other people should be too like a lot of people just treat it as we just need to get solar on the roof get our rebate tick the box tick the box and we're away it's like well at the end of the day you're putting this on your roof and if they catch fire or something goes wrong it's on your home Mm. it's on your roof mm. or, or you're on your business so true like it has tr- massive implications you're getting people in there to play with electricity and connect stuff to the grid in some instances or whatever like it's serious stuff yeah, you want to make sure you, you want to go above and beyond exactly like do do your homework do your due diligence and make sure you're, you're getting something you're comfortable with mm. so yeah that's what we always recommend and we get asked this question a lot like we get so many people coming up to us and being like how do I go about it? So you just got to do a lot of, I feel like, just, just do, a lot, do a lot of homework. Yeah. 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 And there's so many resources, free resources, resources online. Yeah. It's good. It's sound advice yeah. from a professional. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I've got a few rapid fire questions and then you want to wrap it up? Yeah, go for it. Okay. What's the best surf you ever had? Best surf I ever had. Oh, mate, it's hard to beat New Zealand, I reckon. Fungamatar. Mm-hmm. Could, oh, I can't say No, it. don't say that. Yeah. Don't say that. Exactly. You're just <laughs> oh, God, I don't think I can say it. But, I think a certain surf shop owner yeah. would be very upset with us. Yeah. All the more so. I know. But, but there's yeah, some special spots around New Zealand, I reckon. Tim and I went to New Zealand years ago and then went to the local surf shop for advice on where to go surfing and this lovely lady told us exactly where to go. Her husband later could not believe that she had given us such explicit directions to a secret spot (laughs) on the day of days, maybe one of five days like that a year and we just scored it first surf in New Zealand. Yeah, that was was awesome. Great answer. Okay. I'm going to add to that with a spot that I can name, Yep. uh, which was um, when we went out for that surf on that same trip at Raglan. Yeah. In the evening there, and the yeah, sun was setting, yeah, yeah, and it was yeah, just, yeah. Well, I think, two of us and one other person. Like, that was unreal. Raglan's just such a the seven, sunset. Isn't it? Yeah. Oh, Incredible. It was awesome. That, yeah. Oh, great answers. I feel <laughs> like I feel like almost congratulated by those answers, which was not my intention in asking <laughs> that question. Okay, what's your favourite bird? Favourite bird? Oh, that's a really good one. Phoebe and I, so Phoebe being my wife, we, um, we love a puffin. Oh, great answer. Having been to Iceland. They're amazing birds. Yes. Do you know much about them? Not a, not much more beyond what they look like, and they look amazing. Mate, their beaks change colour. Really? So, in the summer, when they're on shore in places like Iceland, their beaks are this bright orange, reddy colour, like you see in all the photos. Yeah, yeah. Then they go out to sea for a long period of time, like months and months and months and months. And no one really knows where they go, but their beak changes to like a grey colour. Oh, shit, wow. Yeah. I wonder if that's just like camouflage underwater to be less appetising to a killer. Yeah, um, they can go to like incredible depths and they're like little rocket ships underwater mm. and they can go up to 40 kilometres per hour or something silly underwater. Mm. This is pretty wild. Crazy. Ma- yeah, crazy little birds. Puffins. Imagine living at sea for like months at a time. I have. I watched, I watched, I read... Um, <laughs> I read Shackleton, I read Endurance, yeah. which is Alfred Lansing's compilation of all of the diaries from Shackleton's voyage in 1915 or whenever it was. Yeah, right. They got trapped in the ice. <laughs> they were 
maroon for like over a year in Antarctica. It's like the oh, gnarliest, gnarliest, one of the gnarliest things I've ever read. Yeah. But a key theme of this book is being out at sea, yeah. living at sea and being lost at sea. Oh God, yeah, it's terrifying. Um, what's your, I think I have, I think I have a sneaking suspicion what the answer to this question is, but what's your pet eco-peeve? What's something My what, you, sorry? Your, what's something you say, like, what's your pet environmental, like, peeve? Oh. Is there something you say that just really boils your blood? Yeah, mate. Yeah. What is it? Fires me up. What is it? What's it? I really it? hate when, um, well, I hate litter just generally. Mm. It really, really grinds me. And mm, I hate okay. when people throw their cigarette butts on the ground. I knew it. Yeah. I, I hate knew it. it. Me too. I've told a few people off, especially when I used to work near the casino and I'd walk home. You've told a few people off? Yeah, big time outside wow. the casino. How's that go? <laughs> uh, usually they're so stunned at what's occurred <laughs> that they kind of just freeze and they just absorb it and then I walk off. Yep. And then that's kind of the end. Good on you, And they're man. just shocked. Good on you. Because I think that's, there's something so much value in just that disruptive moment in something that is just mm. so desensitized. I've only done it twice. Mm. One and a half times. One time it was directly to someone's face and it, that was the reaction I got where they were just like <laughs> so shocked. But they just flipped it in the gutter right in front of me, 100 metres from the beach. <laughs> and the second time I saw a guy do it and then walk into a shop, so I picked it up and put it under the windscreen wiper of his yeah. black Land Cruiser. And that's kind of not the full thing, not the full Monty, but... Yeah. That's I, rad that you're out there doing that. Yeah. I tossed one. I was walking past a car once... And this guy was just stopped at a set of lights and he just threw it straight out the window. This is a long time ago. And I picked it up and just flicked it back into his car. Yes. That was that was a good one. Any reaction? Oh, yeah, but I was gone by that point. So <laughs> <laughs> it didn't matter. <laughs> but oh, nice. I just don't like it in public places like or anywhere. I oh, don't just know. full stop. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just not, not great. And I also... It's an indefensible thing to still be doing. Yeah. And then on my other one, I'm going to give you another one, which is mm. in the same vein. When bins are full mm-hmm. and people just pile rubbish still oh. on top of the bin or around oh. the bin. It's like, well, the bin's full. Like, it's a service. It's full. It's could, a bin busy day or whatever. Just take it with you somewhere else. Take it home, maybe. Could not agree with you more. <laughs> like, yeah. It's not that hard. You yep. brought it with you. No, nah, but near the bin is the same as in the bin, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> Two great answers. Okay. Um, apart from solar panels, what's the next most exciting renewable industry for, in your opinion? Oh, there's a lot of talk about hydrogen. Mm. Um, I don't know enough about it because I'm too absorbed into my solar panel. So that's world. fair enough, yeah. But um, yeah, I reckon it's well, it's going to be massive. Um, so that's probably something to keep a lookout for. And we had some conversations the other day, and Arena, um, so the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, are doing a lot of investment in all these, um, you know, amazing projects, um, trying to drive us towards those sustainability goals and those new renewable industries mm. so if anyone's interested they're a good place to look up at you know all the all the stuff that your taxpayer money is going towards yeah good to know if you want to get a bit of it back and yeah give australia a bit of a head start on hydrogen yeah exactly good shout um okay last question um why bother tim dawson <laughs> why bother doing what you're doing wouldn't it be easy to make heaps more money selling real estate 
Yeah, that's a really great question. It's something that James and I ask each other often. <laughs> why bother, <laughs> mate? Yeah, sometimes we're like, oh, why don't we just take the easy road? And that could mean so many different things. But mm. yeah, life could be a lot easier sometimes. But, you know, I don't know. We're just passionate about it and we want to do it the right way. We don't want to cut corners and we, you know, there's an always an opportunity we could always cut corners and make life easier for ourselves but then we're just devaluing who we are and what it is that we're trying to do oh dude what a beautiful sentence sorry keep going if there was more <laughs> no that was we're it. devaluing who we are and what we're trying to do i love that dude yeah it's totally <laughs> and discrediting the future at the same time exactly yeah exactly so we always said if we want to do something we're going to do it right <laughs> What a great, what a great sentiment to close on. Should we wrap it up? Yeah, I think that's I that think was that's great. Good. Thanks for the chat, man. No worries. What a wonderful glimpse into the mind of somebody who's just working so hard on behalf of everybody to try and solve a, one of these problems before it escalates wildly out of control. And that's pretty much all the world really needs right now in the face of this looming. Uh, is it climate change? Is that what they call it? I think it is called climate change. Um. And as far as I understand, it's comprised of a lot of like an innumerable amount of large problems. And it's going to take people like Tim thinking hard about one in particular and then coming up with great solutions. So I'm really grateful for him and for that chat and for you for listening. And yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. Go to pvindustries.com.au if you would like to know any more about what Tim's doing. And yeah, catch you at the next one. And that, my dear, is fucking delicious.